You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. It's media. <laughs> yeah, I know it's true. <laughs> well, mediums die too. That <laughs> apparently, they, uh, despite their claims to psychic. <laughs> <Well, that's laughs> <a joke. laughs> yes. Maybe a better joke. We're, we're, we're wrapped in plastic. There. Oh God, this Did is. You get a, that out this of the is, library? This, no, it's mine. I, Do you cover mine. all your books in plastic? I, I cover all my books in plastic. It's mine. Yeah. It's mine. Nice. You know, I got to <laughs> tell you something so interesting because I had I, when, when I was growing up, I was raised to respect. The, the print the printed word so mm. much and that, that like when I was in school I couldn't like highlight books and mark stuff and everything because it was like such an anathema to me to fuck up a written book I used to protect it and everything and just like that well I know I, I um, this book actually was too good even for the stickies what a guy <laughs> I, I, I normally you would see a forest yeah, of stickies not in this. those are not archival the stickies are not archival <laughs> no, I, 300 years from now you'll see the footprint no, of those the, stickies just, no I asked that because it, that's Something that you don't see much anymore, and I, and and I acknowledge it. I had to break it down actually to that's, look at that. Whoa! <laughs> that's a, Whoa! Nice. So, now, I, I, yours I actually sat with my I read kind of next to my laptop because it's really a beautiful book. I mean, it's just a. Um, as shouldn't a, we be on tape here? We are on tape. Okay. I, oh, we've been on okay. tape since you sat down. Oh, okay. oh sorry. <laughs> that's okay. Sorry, no did worries. You get stuff about my boil. We <laughs> 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 didn't even do levels. I think we're okay then. He's, he's, I, this, I think he seems to know what he's doing. I think okay. so. I think so. Sort of. that, that puts me out of my comfort zone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not in mine. Trust me. It's uh, I'm in San Francisco. I'm you know the parking was just like fierce. I'm just like terrified driving around. <laughs> okay. I'm used to Santa Cruz where I can practically sleep while I drive. And it's, sometimes I do it. <laughs> Santa Cruz. We can mention. We can bring up uh, one of the famous Santa Cruz residents, Tom Lair. Um, yeah. That's right. Paul Provenza is the co-creator and director of The Aristocrats and has starred in Comics Only on Comedy Central and The Incredible Man Boy on Showtime. Dan Dion is the world's premier portrait photographer for comedians whose photos have been published in The Rolling Stone, Time, People, Playboy, and Entertainment Weekly. Any other photos in Playboy that we care more about? No, but we were just published in Penthouse um, Yeah, this, this month, the June issue. Their new book did is. Did you get yours yet? <laughs> Not yet. I got mine. No. Okay. It's no, coming. You probably did. You just didn't see anything. But you know, what I, you, I, you know. I, I, I don't look for the kind of pictures that you probably publish. <laughs> Their new book is Satiristas, Comedians, Contrarians, Raconteurs, and Vulgarians. Thank you for joining me, gentlemen. Thanks for having us. Thank you. You know, I think this is actually a really. It's an important book. This is a great portrait of the inner lives of people who I think really understand the inner lives of Americans are, and are able to articulate it, and you get them to articulate their inner lives. I'm sorry, could you say that again? <laughs> I need to hear that again. That was beautiful. <laughs> and, and please articulate when you say that. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, uh, you know, the, the whole project really sprung from Dan's photography, which uh, I, I was moved by before ever having met Dan and when I did meet him uh, interestingly enough in Sydney Australia of all places where he was exhibiting and I happened to be performing um, we hit it off right away and Dan's photographs uh, 
just drew me to this conversation with him where it was so clear that we're on the same page and we love the same things and we're just two comedy geeks big time and um, and so when we decided to do this project incorporating Dan's photos and something that I would do with the performers uh, I set about to do interviews that would that would uh, do sort of what Dan's photos do, which is uh, evoke and uh, create a feeling not just it's not just informational it's not just oh here's a celebrity I know and like there's some feeling that Dan has emerged from every one of his portraits so I tried to do that in the interviews too uh, which are more conversational I, I actually really refer to them more as conversations than interviews because it's not journalistic and I thought if, if we could create um, conversations that were as evocative and provoke such feelings as Dan's photographs do, that would be an interesting feat and challenge. So that's what we uh, set about to do. Dan, your photographs really are, they're beautiful and they're, they are provocative. They, they show us something I think more than we see uh, in terms of figures, eyes, noses, whatever. Uh, how, talk about getting in the people to the point where you can bring out something more on film than you can really see. Well, it's 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 really there's a couple of, of factors there. Um, the first is trust, and and these people trust me, and so they most of them were familiar with my work before before I shot them uh, through through some of my exhibitions at comedy clubs and festivals and things like that. But uh, it's it sort of my my work has kind of snowballed in the sense that that um, people see what I do and see how I respect comics and how I'm not you know I, I don't come at it from a a typical, say, magazine photographer's uh, angle, or from a uh, doing a headshot sort of thing, and they, they 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 see that I get comics, they see that I respect comics and love comedy, and and that's the first step. So there, so so that kind of gets me in a different door that other that other photographers don't get into. If I can uh, just interrupt for a second, Dan's also earned the respect of some of the greats in the comedy world. Uh, and it's become, for a lot of people who are aware of his work, it's become an honor to have Dan photograph you. So, so there's a different relationship that he has with, with his subjects. Uh, he, people want to join the club. Kind of. It's kind of like being photographed by Annie Leibovitz. You're just like, well, yeah, man, I want that. That's cool. <laughs> Danny Leibovitz. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, yeah. so, so um, that's, that's the, the trust is the first part of it. And uh, second is, is, is having them be comfortable. And since they're already familiar with the work, they know that I'm not going to be you know, ask, ask them to do something that's going to make them uncomfortable. And it's just getting them to be to to, to be comfortable to 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 not you know to, to kind of put away the act, you know. And and they know that I'm I, I want to shoot them, and I'm not I'm not trying to put on the act. Where if you look, you know, when you, when you see the book, when all of you buy the book, you'll see that uh, you know there's there's there's, there's all, virtually no costumes. There's no uh, there's no gags. There's you know things aren't set up really, um, with very few exceptions. I mean uh, you know Spinal Tap is in their costumes, but other than that, there really aren't. Um, so it it th that's a big that's a big part of it. It's letting people be themselves, and then um, the the third part of the two parts that I mentioned was uh, is in the edit is that is that I, I because I'm familiar with that their act and 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 who they are I'm able to pull the the, the photo out of of the shoot that really best represents them and I, I think that I think that that's a huge part of it and whereas say a magazine a magazine uh, shoot <clears throat> first the, the photographer goes in and he said oh I've got a I've got 
10 assignments this month, but I've got one comedian I gotta shoot. Well, how am I gonna make that picture funny? You know, I gotta make that picture funny. What, what sort of props should I bring? And all this sort of thing. And, and it just, just all these elements added into it that, 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 that sort of muddle up the act, who the actual performer is. And they might not even know who they are, familiar with their act. So you get that, and then you send all those pictures to the editor, and the editor picks the most goofy shot that they can find, invariably. The editor looks at these pictures and goes, okay, well, this is supposed, person's supposed to be funny, and the photographer took pictures that are supposed to be funny, so I'm going to find the most outrageous picture out of this you know, contrived, you know, prop-heavy, goofy picture that's going to be, and so it just gets, it gets distorted and distorted and distorted, to the point where you might have one of the most, you know, one of the greatest thinking, brilliant comedians, and they pick the picture where, you know, where they're being the most ridiculous. Or so, so you know, an outside, I go the other way. An outsider's perspective on comedy is that it's all just wacky and fun and goofy and sort of pop culture fluff. But Dan is somebody who un understands the art form of comedy. He's been a, a part of it for so long and, and comes from within that world that, you know, his, his respect and his perspective on comedians is really different you know what when I first saw his work I the first thing that came to mind were those those great great photos from the jazz era those really evocative beautiful moving photos of, of jazz artists at work and I thought that's the first time I've ever seen a collection of photographs about comedians that really really treats them like those kinds of artists and, and I tried to do the same in the interviews as well. And like last night, <clears throat> last night at the Throckmorton, they, in the dressing room they had William Claxton's book, which is called Laugh, and it's a collection of portraits. William Claxton is one of the greatest, all-time greatest jazz portrait photographers in the world, and he decided to do a project on comedians. And unfortunately, he fell into the exact same trap that all these other people did. It's Billy Crystal smashing his face together, and it's Chevy Chase mugging, and half the people have their mouth open, and it's sort of like. Huh? What a what, you know, and it, and this was a this is a brilliant photographer, but because he really has no idea about what comedy is from, except from from an you know an audience or a television viewing point of view, he couldn't get into it the way he is brilliant at with his jazz photography. That's the thing is that both Dan and I respect the art form and really actually feel it as an art form you know it's not it's it's not just this pop culture fluff that there are people who devote their lives to it and who work in a really artful way who are doing a bizarre form of literature or or an incredible sort of performance art there's you know there there is a, a real art of comedy unfortunately like most music that people hear is top 40 or you know the things that they're aware of movies or the big big you know huge summer blockbuster releases whatever not necessarily the the independent artful films or whatever same thing is true in comedy when people think about comedy they just think about what they know and like in comedy and it, it doesn't really register for most people that it is just like music that when you think about music there's a million different variations of what what music is and you know there's punk you know there's classical you know there's country western and you like what you like but you acknowledge that the other exists and that it's a rather expansive art form but people don't usually think of comedy that way and Dan does and I do and that's why it was such an interesting combination and what we tried to do in the book was really look at people who are working artfully in comedy understand that comedy is an art form, devote their lives to comedy that's not just about selling product, it's about actually really making art, you know? And all of which can sound kind of pretentious, but as I, I believe you'll verify, there's some very, very funny stuff going on in that book. Well, one of the things that reading this book I thought struck me is 
my podcast is called The Agony Column, and I come from a, a, a background of reviewing horror. And, and to me, a comedy and horror are like those pictures of that are the vases or the faces looking at one another. The, the, yeah. the vase, the black oh, vase great, filled, filled with black liquid is right. the horror. The two white faces are the comedy, but they both define the same space. And what I like is that what you do in this book is you get us behind the mechanics that creates this space. And it's neither comedy, it's not the laughs, it's not the horror, but it's a deep understanding of what actually goes on in human beings' tiny little minds. Yeah, yeah. And having such a, a, a vast and um, expansive collection of voices, mm -hmm. uh, I, I think you know one of, one of the efforts that we made was to make it not be about a specific voice, a specific viewpoint, a specific ideology, but about real thinking, artful voices all collected in one place. And to me, actually, I know this sounds a little weird, but to me, the book is is in many ways like a self help book. I mean, I, I you know I, I can't agree. help yes. but read it and be inspired and 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 to be encouraged to just sort of own who you are and speak your mind and not and not just you know not have that passion stripped away from your life, which happens to all of us so much. You know, and we've heard from we've heard from so many of the comedians in the book who've come back and and we've they've got their book and they read it and read it and they're so happy with the way it turned out and they're so inspired by the way it turned out and it, if, if, if that's what it does to the people that are in the book if it inspires the people that are in the book like what's it going to do to the you know this the 17 year old kid who picks it up and it's just you know and it's just blown away by this sort of idea it's like nobody's listening to me no one's listening to what I have to say <clears throat> and and then to read this and be like you know who who, who thinks the way I do Lewis Black Roseanne Barr, George Carlin, and all of a sudden they find they're like, oh, you know what? Maybe Green Day doesn't speak for me. <laughs> you know? Yeah, maybe it doesn't matter if I I might be a redneck. Right. <laughs> you know, I I, I love the uh, the way you've cut the interviews that uh, or, or the the conversations because that's what they you're right that's what they're like. Um, to begin with, a voice of the person who who portrait you're creating. Uh, I have to ask. Did the portraits or the conversations come first? The photos of the conversations come first? Did you go back and forth with that? It's pretty mixed. A lot yeah. of a lot of the portraits already existed, and um, some of the interviews happened before the portraits were taken. But um, uh, the truth is that most of the portraits I had not, I, mean, I didn't know which which portraits were going to go with which conversations. So we really kind of had two separate parallel tracks working on this. Uh, and when they came together, it was—it just felt so right. It felt like we were—we right. were exactly in the right place from our, our two different perspectives. I—I right. thought I had a book done, and then, uh, and then I teamed up with Paul and ended up doing half as many more in there in the book. So literally, more than half of the of the photos in the book were were done in the last two years. Uh, and and what would happen is like you know, Paul knew what I had, and so 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 the people that he he would come to interview, he knew. What portrait I already had, but then we were we were working together on the, on these uh, on like I said on this parallel path, and then he would interview someone on a, and then maybe in the next week I would shoot them and shoot in the picture and he'd be like perfect, great you know or the or it would go the other way like I, I've got you know I'm shooting um, I'm interviewing Billy Connolly next week and I'd be like here's the picture I want to 
perfect, and then he would show it to him, or like uh, Judd Apatow or something like that. Like, here's what here you know here's the shot that I got. Or I would and do then an interview, was... and then Dan would get a shot right. weeks later, right. right, and show me the shot that he had chosen, right. and I go, oh, it's right. unbelievable, right. it's yeah. scary. It was yeah. great. It's two men sharing one mind. Uh, that's you on know, different parts of the country at the right, same right, time. Right, right. Too. You know, that's the way it strikes me because. I think you mentioned earlier a word, uh, literary, and that's what strikes me about this book. This is a very literary book. It's about language. It's about using language and using, but also art and using the images to to get at you know who we are in a really honest manner. And I think that's what great comedy does. Is it is it really exposes who who we are. We chose uh, to focus on uh, satiristas, which is what the name that we gave to this mm -hmm. particular collection of people who are, uh, they speak their mind, they, they have something socially conscious or aware or politically uh, pointed to say. They just, they, they have a reason for being up there and making you laugh. There's other stuff at play, you know, and they're thinkers. Uh, um, that doesn't mean, by the way, that people who are just playfully funny and silly and goofy and absurdly funny aren't as worthy of a, a book of their own, we just decided to focus on that. That's the kind of stuff that appeals to us the most. It's the kind of stuff that, as a comedian myself, I know is the most challenging. And to be able to not only present people that have been around for a million years that are household names, but also people in the same context that most readers have never heard of was really kind of a treat for us to be able to do. Uh, and um, so we focused on people who were doing that kind of provocative, transgressive, subversive kind of comedy uh, subversive, subversive in many different ways, mm -hmm. culturally, socially, language-wise, uh, politically correct-wise, uh, politically, all that sort of stuff. Um, and we knew that, that, that those are the people who are dealing with the most different kinds of forces on their work and on their own, on their own person. Uh, and uh, it made it really interesting and really mysterious. And as, as I did the conversations and chose which sections of conversations to include it was sort of a it comes from my my uh, training as a director which is you know number one class number one statement number one for any director show don't tell and most approaches to anything like this any book of interviews any book of conversations would would be pretty informational pretty journalistic but I went completely the other way I wanted to just sort of show a piece of conversation so that you could you could feel what you want, you could think what you want, you could interpret it how you want, you could be moved or touched or not as you desire. I'm not telling you anything. Most of the conversations are not people telling you things so much as it is you gleaning things from them talking about themselves or their work or the issues they're interested in. There's a nice uh, in media res feeling to this where, um, and it's evident in the photographs as well, where you we feel like we're catching something that's in the middle. We walked in a little bit in the middle. We leave before the end. But what we see is somebody who doesn't know, necessarily know, that they're going, try, going to be communicating to the audience. It's a, more of a, a feeling of a, a little bit voyeuristic, I guess. And that's the real, one of the real appeals of this. Uh, I'm glad to hear you, you see it that way and appreciate it that way, because that's sort of part of it. It is. Um, uh, you know, some of these conversations went on for hours. You know? <laughs> well, who, for example? Uh, well, Robert Klein. Robert Klein is an uh, idol of mine. He was one of my big influences when I was a kid, starting mm -hmm. out in comedy. And uh, he's somebody who both Dan and I feel uh, never really got his due. I mean, he's respected and he's appreciated and he's enjoyed and he has a, 
you know, certainly has his fans, but we think that he deserves more than that. We think that people don't realize how important a figure he was. And I've been such a fan of his for so long, and we got to know each other a little bit over the past few years. So sitting down with him and talking just for hours and hours and hours was like, <laughs> I, you know, I, I forgot that I was in, actually there for a reason <laughs> and just ended up spending hours hanging out with an idol of mine, you know, uh -huh. who was hilarious and great fun. And, and the piece that we cut from that conversation to include in the book is really an argument between me and Robert Klein. Right, right. I mean, like, where do I get off about actually Kinnison, Kinnison, arguing yeah. with Robert, my idol? Yeah, you know? that, all the ass kissing was cut out. Yeah, there's reason. there's there's not a whole lot of ass kissing in the book, no. no, no. Uh, um, uh, but that was because you know he respected me as a professional, and, mm -hmm. and you know he knew a little bit of what I had done, and he knew that I respected him. And comic to comic is a very different thing. It really is. Way it's a very different. different thing. And so even if just just a comic talking to another comic about comedy presupposes so much, you know, mm -hmm. and I always feel like that's an opportunity to show and not tell. Just not explain where all of this is coming from. Just let it let it be and let you interpret it and feel how, however you want. Well, that's one of the, the pleasures of this book is is that it, we do get to feel that we're in a place where we're not necessarily supposed to be. There's a feeling almost we feel kind of, uh, you know, like somebody's going to catch us reading this. This is, this is the equivalent. Wow, this awesome. this <laughs> brings back the joy of like reading Playboy in your room at night like, wow, when your parents are going to catch you. Or the, June so or the June issue of Penthouse. Right. Or the June issue of Penthouse. Just excerpts from Saturdays. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, that's great. Well, I don't know. That wasn't a question. Yeah, I'm just going to yeah. say that was cool to hear. Yeah. Well, now, and by the way, I just if I can uh, mention something else, I have a new series uh, debuting on Showtime on June 10th mm -hmm. called The Green Room with Paul Provenza, which is much, in much the same vein of your, in, in fact, quite literally at the beginning of the show, the, aud the viewing audience is told, you don't, you, you don't belong here, you're not supposed to be here. It's a bunch of comedians hanging out with some friends, and if you're really cool, you can come and hang, but if you've ever been offended by anything, or if you're going to get touchy, don't bother Don't coming in. in. Uh, that's how the show opens. And what it is is uh, various collections, groups of comedians really just talking. The show opens in mid-conversation, and you're just there, and you're clearly in a place that you, you don't have access to, but we've given it to you in a very voyeuristic way. Um, it's a great show. I'm really excited about it. I think it's a way that uh, you've never seen comedy on television before. And interestingly, we started producing the show for Showtime in the midst of doing Satiristas, they both have that vibe of, man, you really, if, you, if you're if you into this at all, come in and hang out, but it's not anything that you already know. <laughs> it's really cool. You know, you know, Dan, that's, I think, one of the things that your photographs capture and mirror in this is this feeling of, um, because the people want to be photographed, because they want to be in the club, we kind of get the feeling that we're seeing something that we wouldn't ever ordinarily see. You know, it's, and, and I, I'm curious as to, as you're going through your, your, you must take a bazillion pictures, it must just be hell on earth to figure out which one's gonna go in. It, it... Not at all. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Not at all, actually. Uh, for me, uh, there's, there's almost always, almost always one or two that stand out, really. Um, because I, I, I take out anything where there's any, where there's any sort of mugging. Almost always take out anything that's mugging. They're so used to that when they get there, they're, they're like, what do you want me to do? I'm supposed to do something, right? Every time I've been with a photographer, they tell me what to do or they, you know, give me props or they do this. I don't do that. And 
and it really isn't. I, I, I look through them, and there's almost always, almost always one shot that just stands out. Editing for me is one of the most, the most joyful elements of what I do. I love it because I love to find that shot, and it, it's, it's, it's virtually always there. And when I find it, it's just, it's, there it is, mark it, we're done. You know, and it really isn't hard because I know, I know these people, I know their act, I know who they are. And finding that shot is, is a, a real pleasant, a real pleasant thing for me. Here's something I never thought of. Did you ever have a session with a comedian where you walked away and went, boy, I didn't get a single, I didn't get one that just jumps out and go, that's the shot? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's there might be some that I'm like, I, I don't know if I got it. I think I might have, but I don't know. We'll right. have to see. We'll have to wait for that. You know, we'll have to wait for that edit. There were a couple of there. There were um, like two shots in this book that were not the ones that I that I wanted to go in because the artists themselves didn't like it, uh, but everyone else did, and I loved it. And and but out of deference to them, out of respect. For their wishes, I didn't put it in. So that that's that points to kind of the point we're making about everything about this really being a try an effort to be artful and to express artfulness. That you know, a journalist, a photographer hired by a magazine to get a shot of somebody, it doesn't matter how many they shoot, they're going to pick one that's going to work for mm -hmm. their purposes. But that's not the case with Dan. It has to it has to speak to something other than just oh, this is a nice picture lit well. Right, and I you know like. Um, legally or whatever reason, it's uh, you know I, I don't have I don't have an obligation to I really don't have an obligation to ask these people their permission or anything else like that. Um, but I, and and in most cases I didn't um, and I've I, and I've never heard I haven't had any backlash on that at all. But for a couple of people that I knew it might be an issue and uh, one contractually that I had to th uh, you know s send and get approval. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't get they didn't get the one that I wanted, even though other people loved it. Um, but I, to, for me, I would much rather, uh, I would much rather not have the picture I want in there than to have the artists themselves be upset about what I used. I mean, because in the world of celebrity photography, trust is everything. And and these portraits, they're not they're not about being flattering to their subjects in any sort of an aesthetic way. Mm -hmm. And most of the rich photos that he's taken of people who are you know, doing the kind of work as everybody in Santa Rita is, they get that what he did get was something other than just a, a, a good-looking picture. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and, and and it's actually kind of surprising how many of them were like down with not necessarily the most aesthetically flattering photograph, but that get them. They re they got they got that right away, which is really cool. And you know, the comedians don't often get respect. They don't get respected as artists. They really don't. And I love when I love when people's friends comedians other comedians' friends tell me that they that I got them. So like when someone says, Oh, you really you know, you really got Geraldo on that one or you or Overton says, You really got Robin on that or something like that that means a lot to me because they know them better than anyone does. And to have them give the stamp of approval is fantastic. Like, what it, what it says, like, I, you know, uh, for me, what, 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 I, what I want is, I want approval from the world's greatest critics. <laughs> and the world's greatest critics are comedians. 
<laughs> so that's what you get paid for. Right. <laughs> it's true. And when's that going to happen? <laughs> when is the pay getting paid for going to happen? Uh, um, yeah, no, and, and, you know, again, that's the same thing with, uh, in terms of being a comedian, interviewing these comedians. It's a different level of trust, you know, because, mm -hmm. again, like whenever they're generally sent for a photo shoot, they've got to deal with the comedian who, uh, the photographer who just wants them to be goofy or be the dancing monkey or whatever. Just do something know? crazy! Yeah. And when, when they talk to journalists, they talk to interviewers, they're generally people who are either, you know, trying to trip them up or trying to make them be wacky or trying Where to... Where do your ideas them, come from? Or asking these really sort of like pedestrian questions, you know, um, but with another comic, it's a whole different ball game, you know, and it's very easy for the idea of an interview to fall away and to, for them to just literally, really, truly have just a comic-to-comic -comic conversation. You know, it strikes me that both of you are, are telling me in a way that the art of this book is stripping away the art, and, and that that stripping away the artifice and getting to the person. But I think that's also what's at the core of comedy, and yes, that's why this book works so well. It's so interesting you put it that way, and that you corrected yourself in terms of you, you corrected from stripping away the art to stripping away the artifice, and that is that's the key right there is we try to strip away the artifice that you know comedians are generally presented as merch they're presented as you know product you know um, but we were trying to find them as as human beings who really uh, their art and their humanity and who they are and the way they live their lives is inseparable now, now at, at, as an interviewer this has got to be a huge challenge for you because you're talking about people as different as Mike Nichols and Jello Biafra. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's a huge spectrum. Talk about preparing uh, both interviews and photography for people, for Mike Nichols and, and, and Jello Biafra, who are both two of my favorite uh, artists. Uh, um, well, who, who was it? I forget. I'm quoting somebody. I'm paraphrasing somebody. Uh, um, but, uh, you know, how do you prepare for this? Well, I've prepared for the last 52 years. That's <laughs> really what it boils down to. You know, this is my life. This is what I do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the comedians, that the way we see their work, the way they see their humanity, the way they see what they're, what they're doing with the art form, you know, as somebody who's lived and toiled in that for so long myself and reached whatever personal bests I've reached or, you know, not made it to whatever peaks I've hoped to make, not only professionally but creatively as well, um, I have a different relationship to what it is that they've done than somebody who's just an observer. Dan? I don't prepare, essentially. I come, I, I come ready uh, for what, for what uh, puts itself in front of me. Uh, in my preparation is knowing who they are. It's not... Knowing their work. Really knowing their work, Knowing right. what the subject really is all about. Exactly, exactly. Um, but in terms of... I almost never come at it with a preconceived concept of what the photo's going to be. Uh, and also because we've both been in the comedy world for so long, we've also seen a lot of people who are household names now from way before, when they were right. just starting out. Right. So we've actually seen them grow and develop. Right. So through their work and through our personal relationships, we've also seen an artistic and creative growth, which gives us something else to, tr to, to have a sensibility about and to try to manifest in some way. When, I'm, like, when, I'm when I, I come into a shoot, uh, a lot of them are done backstage at theaters or things like that. I, 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 I get there. I see what's I see what's around. I see what might make sense. I, I look for what might be an honest uh, location portrayal of these people, um, and, and and then when I get them, it's a matter of getting them comfortable. And and generally, in most of these during most of these sessions, I'm talking to them about comedy. While this is happening, I'm talking to them about comedy. 
So, for example, I'm looking at the cover. There's there's um, Henry Rollins. When that was happening, we were talking about Lenny Bruce. You know, so I, it's like I'm just sitting there, you know, talking with Henry Rollins about Lenny Bruce, and you know, five minutes later, I'm like, great, thanks. We're done. Yeah, we're done. It's like, great, you know. And yeah. the the, the, the when comment... Henry Rollins is, is talking about Lenny Bruce, you get to see a real Henry Rollins. Right. right. Wow. And and uh, the the comment that I get most about my work is that they say that was painless, which is a great compliment to me. I think, oh, great, you know, great. I, I I made you so comfortable. We're so cool together that before you know it, it's over. It's done. And I got what I need. I know I got what I needed. I'm done. And yeah, it took me, it, you know, this session, this whole photo shoot took 10 minutes. Mm. And I got more in 10 minutes that, that someone else is going to get in, in, in two hours and a thousand frames. Shot. And also, Dan, Dan also has these, these great uh, personal relationships with a lot, of, a lot of the subjects as well over years and years and years. So, you know, instead of setting up a nice site to shoot Doug Stanhope with perfect lighting and a beautiful backdrop and everything like that. He gets a shot of Doug when they're hanging out in a cheesy bar and he's right. smoking and drinking and picking songs right, off a right, jukebox. Right. It's like that's the real Doug Stanhope that Dan can hang out with because he's right. been in this world for so long. Right. Or you got David Cross sitting on a cases of beer in the back of you know back room of some theater in Vancouver and he's toasting me with some Sleemans or something like that. <laughs> you know, some warm beer that we get at these festivals. Yeah. And so it's like it's it's that sort of thing where where you know a guy like David Cross I've shot him I don't know six eight times you know it's like oh what do you want to do okay let's go boom you're done you know you know so I go to interview Dave Attell right. and and we we happen to be in the the comedy cellar because it was the most convenient place for us to meet he was uptown I was downtown so we meet in the middle at the comedy cellar which is a place that we both worked a million times and so we're sitting there in the middle of the day in that beer rank stale beer smelling you know tiny little cubbyhole cave of a brilliant comedy club, you know, and half our conversation is, remember the night that you were on stage and the guy came in to go to the men's room and he walked past the girl with the hat, you know, so it just becomes really like, it's just, it's it's not journalistic. It's very cool. <laughs> right. um, you know, approaching these, some of these interviews for you, or, or these conversations, these are people you've known for different you know, periods of time. Some of them are, you know, really old friends. Some of them maybe you, you don't know as well. And, and it really interests me that, that you managed to make that connection and cut us in to, to the place where they seem to really be um, experiencing their art and, and, able, and articulating what it is they do and how or, and why they do it. And also being entertaining too on the printed page. Well, see, that's the thing about about you know having a two-hour conversation with somebody <laughs> or an hour and a half conversation that just the, the interview aspect of it just falls away. We get caught up in the fact that it's two comics talking. You know, um, is that you know a conventional journalist would have a specific set of questions, ask them, have a, have a through line in his head and want to go down certain roads. I let them meander so that when they do end up talking about what they do in their work, it's coming out of not a, a particular question about their work, but coming out of something that they're trying to illustrate. Like, you know, I'll talk about, okay, I saw you do this bit about blah, 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 and you were really having trouble with it that night, and blah, blah, blah. And so they start, start talking about how they have trouble with audiences, and then they start to refer to what they do to deal with it and all. But it wasn't about the specific question I asked. It emerged emerges from just comics talking about process and, and how to do what they're trying to do. Um, uh, so it, it's a much more sort of natural and and um, less rigid kind of a conversation, you know. And they're also very aware that there is no agenda. 
because that's the other thing about a lot of interviewers, they do have an agenda. They go in with an angle as to how to make this thing interesting, regardless of what they get, as I'm sure you've experienced as well. Many of your colleagues do that all the time. Mm -hmm. that, that, that They'll just go in with a point of view in mind, and no matter what the subject says, they're gonna make it fit that because that's the way they conceive the story, the story in the abstract. I go in and I just start talking, and whatever emerges is what is going to be interesting enough to be an angle, quote unquote, mm -hmm. you know? Now, you know, uh, one of the things I loved about this book was this kind of variety that we've seen, and I love that you included musicians, because uh, we don't necessarily, my first thought uh, of Jello Biafra, Randy Newman, Henry Rollins isn't necessarily as comedians, but they are, and I absolutely love that. Well, actually for Henry Rollins, it's a more, it's a more direct connection, because Henry has several volumes of uh, spoken word. As does Jello. Mm -hmm. uh, as does Jello. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and in Henry's case, it's it's very funny. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not necessarily crafted like comedy you're used to hearing, but every time he hits a point, every time he gets to a, a, a cadence, if you will, it's very, very funny. Um, so he unwittingly is taking his punk, you know, countercultural subversive ethos and and it turning into it, turning it into comedy just naturally. So we thought that was a really interesting thing. Uh, and with Jello, not only does he do a lot of spoken word, much of which is very, very funny, but also he ran into the First Amendment issue, which is something that's kind of everybody has to, everybody in the book has to deal with in some way or another. Mm -hmm. So to have somebody who went right head to head against it, you know, was an interesting subject. And, and, and uh, Craig Ferguson actually becomes a bit of a link because a lot of people don't realize that Craig Ferguson started out as a punk rock musician. And in fact, when he started performing stand-up, it was very subversive and very in-your-face. He, he, he performed under the name Bing Hitler as a real sort of punk, <laughs> you know, countercultural alternative comedian. And over the years, he's evolved into who he is now. But So he's a great example of why Henry Rollins and Jello Biafra belong in a book with comedians like Craig Ferguson. And Randy Newman was someone I wanted instantly. He was one of my top people because I have always recognized his satirical bent in what he does because he does he does the classical form of satire which is to take on the voice of uh it takes on he does the classical form of satire which was to take on the voice of of someone that someone whose opinion might be abhorrent and sort of embrace it and you see you, you get it because of because of his embracing it yeah, Randy's most his most powerful work, especially when he's younger, was yeah. really he's very much like Stephen Colbert in in those songs like "Sail Away" and and "Rednecks." Oh, he becomes a person, yes. you know, that he's trying to to really examine and mock, or or you know, to, to illustrate the absurdity of or the the complex realities, whatever they are, you know. So he really truly is a satirist, and it's interesting because there's several generations now that only know of Randy Newman as the guy who writes the music for the for the Disney cartoons, right. you know, and he's actually really powerful potent right. satirist I've had some people say Randy Newman and my my response is yes Randy Newman yeah. political Absolutely. science political science yes. that's right that's right <laughs> exactly that's right. the big one now which which he acknowledges is a um, an homage to Tom Lehrer who's oh. also in the book <laughs> right yes Tom and Lehrer. Tom Lehrer is actually Santa Cruz resident I think at one yes Santa, six yeah, months absolutely. out of the year he teaches at UC Santa Cruz he teaches I think he teaches music theory at Santa Cruz and math, teaches brother. math at math. Harvard yes right. I, I know he, yeah he's really an interesting cat and he that was also a, a great treat because uh, again you know generations have gone by that have never heard of Tom Lehrer 
But Tom Lehrer in his day was really like hugely impactful. And Tom Lehrer has not given uh, an interview to anybody in 15 years, 18 years. I mean, it's just not what he does. I mean, when he hung up his performing, he hung it up for good. Um, but he happened to be a fan of the aristocrats, so after trying to track him down and trading messages back and forth, we got him on the phone. He was, oh yeah, I'd love to talk to you. You know, I was like, hey, how cool is that? <laughs> now, uh, you also uh, interview and photograph uh, com comedic groups. Uh, you Spinal Tap, uh, Culture we Clash. Didn't, we didn't interview them. You, but you, well, you got McKeon, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, right. And uh, um, kids in the hall. Kids in the hall. Right. And on that, mass. On mass, yeah. yeah. And so uh, that must be a, a different kind of dynamic for you. It is, but that's one of those where you just get in the slipstream. You just all you need to do is just put the <laughs> stimulus out there and watch right. the you know watch the cells bounce off each other. Uh, that was actually really fun. It was it, it was just kind of uh, it was a, a great illustration. That interview actually, or that that section of that conversation. Um, I chose that particular section not only because of some of the subjects they talked about, but also because it was a great example of how a team like Kids in the Hall, you put an idea out there and then it just bounces like a pinball from mind to mind and they pick up on each other's characters, on each other's you know personalities and it just changes and shifts every time somebody gets their hands on it and, and more often than not ends up, you know, that's pretty much how they create. And in that, conver in that conversation you can almost see all you need to know about the dynamics of the Kids in the Hall. You get that you know, you, you can see how Foley's relationship to Scott Thompson and everyone's relationship to Bruce, and it, it just, it's, it's all there. It's all there, and then Dave is just kind of, Dave is sort of, like, uh, or, or McKinney is, is off uh, doing his, his sort of own thing. He just kind of throws in every now and then. And, and, and you then, can see, you know, they'll bounce an idea around and it's sort of hovering over three people right, playing, right. keeping that ball in the air, and right. then Bruce McCullough comes in and boom, right. it goes in a whole different right, direction. Right. So that's a great example of what I was saying. If I tried to tell you how this happened between these people, it would be completely boring, right. uninteresting, and ineffective. But right. just look at a few pages of the conversation, and you completely understand right. it. You wanted it to happen, and then Scott Thompson is calling Dave Foley a bastard. It's <laughs> perfect. And he goes, yeah. Always been a bastard, Foley. <laughs> you know, it strikes me that um, this book is a, a great vision into the just the creative process, both visually and, and uh, in literarily. No matter what kind of genre you're looking at, because it, it shows us that the world of creative of creativity is a world that requires you to like let down your guard you know what's interesting i had a similar but but different in its own way experience with the aristocrats in that um the biggest uh, the greatest responses i got on the aristocrats were um other than from comedians was from musicians they got that the, I was talking about comedy in that movie, but they got that it was it was exactly the creative process of musicians. You know, artists really get it. You know, mm -hmm. um, and I think the same thing kind of emerges with this: is that whether you're a writer or whether you're interested in writing, you're interested in painting, and if you're interested in any art, I, I think you get you. This becomes a kind of very specific lens through which you're seeing another ex exploration of, of of an artistic process. You know, I, when you're it sounds a little pretentious. But uh, I think it's true. It, it's it, it's also funny. 
<laughs> which, 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 glad you said that. It is actually pretty funny. Yeah. One of the things that makes it really funny is that I asked them to talk, a lot of people to talk about material that they had trouble with, that mm -hmm. they were dealing with, you know, they had conflicts with audiences, they were having trouble communicating or right, whatever. Right. And uh, so there's a lot of stuff in the book that you really won't get to see anywhere else. Well, you know, uh, to, to, to that end, I, I love the, you know, some of the discussions of, of religion in there. I'm trying to, was it Richard Lewis? Who mm -hmm. talked? Who talked about doing going? I think our our client, who talked about uh, going on stage doing a joke about uh, uh, Jesus, and, and, or maybe it was you. <laughs> uh, it might have been me. There's a lot of talk about that because mm -hmm. that is a big hot button, and mm -hmm. so when people want to address that, you know, uh, everybody, a lot of people who deal with really perceptive and, and 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 biting stuff in that arena deal with conflict. So that does come up quite a bit. Now, um, when you're uh, sculpting these, you know scooping them out um, you there must be what's interesting to me too is that what we what you hear sitting in the room has a very different feel when you put it down on the page and so talk about the difference between the you know the experience of being there and hearing it and experiencing it that way and then transcribing it and saying oh well that didn't get it and that must again you must have the same a parallel experience visually because you're in there in the room with with somebody and maybe getting a vibe having an experience exactly yeah, and, and then, then you're taking a picture maybe the one you think is going to be the the one right. turns out to not translate so well as the one you end up picking with the with the conversations uh, again that that really is about the fact that I'm a comic mm -hmm. and I've been misquoted like crazy <laughs> I know what it's like to have somebody try and convey and print you know a joke and you just see it not work and you just go why does that look embarrassingly bad when I know it's a great joke and audiences agree with me you know uh, so I was able to uh, I had a little bit of a leg up in terms of making you know making this stuff ring the right way because uh, I just have I've been subject to that myself I know what it's like and again that's that was another level of trust between the subjects and myself because they knew that I got that stuff and the extra year you took in editing the book. That's true. It took an extra year. It was supposed to be out a year ago. Uh, how, <laughs> how long has this thing been in construction? A hundred years. <laughs> I mean, it seems it's a, it's a fantastic uh, resource for people <laughs> who want to know about comedians, comedy, creation. Um, how, when did you start this and why? We started it was about, about three years ago. Yeah. About three years ago. When we met in Sydney is when we started it, actually. Mm -hmm. And as I said, Dan had already been photographing comedians, already had his own style of, of, of capturing what he, what he wants and interesting stuff from them. And uh, it, was, it was a newer process for me at that point. But that's about when we began. It was about three years. And in fairness, the bulk of what took so long was just the logistics of getting 60 or 70 people to sit down and have interviews. You know, some of whom are like incredibly busy. That's, uh, that's a big part of it. I mean, it's definitely, you know, if somebody set about to do a big money-making, big high-end, big fancy, show-busy kind of thing, uh, they couldn't do it because it was it, it's it has to be a labor of love or you can't get this many people to sit down and talk to you. There's a real gritty feel to this book too. It's not even though you're talking about people who, you know, are often incredibly wealthy, incredibly famous. Um, there's a feeling of you know sitting in the grungiest places in the world and and getting, you know, sweat dropping down into the glass and getting the uh, drink. And I really love that feeling. That's so cool. I'm glad that you got that. That's great. And, and also what 
you know, in, in creating it, 90%, I would say 90% of the connections that happened were one-to-one. It was artist-to-artist. It was Paul asking them to do it. It was me asking them to do it. There were, there were very little managers, agents, publicists, and all this involved. Whenever there had to be anybody like that involved, they, it was just dragged out for months and months and months. Right, and months. or it made it not happen. It's just total obstacles. You know? so but, but as a comic, talking to another comic, we both know that at some point in our lives, we decided to do something crazy. You know, and <laughs> yeah. talking to another comic, you can relate that. Talking to somebody who's not a comic, it's a different ball game. You're now suddenly where you're at in your life, as opposed to having that very. We both share that same moment of going, you know, I'm going to be a comic. What? <laughs> you know, it, it strikes me too. I, I love that we get to see these people and, and hear from them about them in their vulnerable, mistaken, you know, in their trip oh my, over themselves. The moments. interview with Greg Giraldo is almost like a therapy <laughs> session. I swear, I, I swear to God, the week after I interviewed him, I called him out, hey, Greg, how you doing? You know, I, I wanted to bring him soup. <laughs> um, ha- having collected these, you know, it strikes me too that one of the things I like about this is this is a certain kind of art form that um, this book that creates art by virtue of uh, taking a, a real sing, a sing, simple single approach. We're going to take a picture. I'm going to talk to somebody. And yet, as, as you do that, and it seems very simple, and it seems like you're not going to get a lot of art out of that kind of um, process. But as you do, I think the, the accumulation of layers and layers uh, builds up to create something that's really impressive. Um, well, thank you for that. But uh, and yeah, that is a conscious thing. I mean, you know, uh, um, what what I set about to do. I mean, Dan's process is probably similar, but I won't speak for him. But for my process with this, I wanted people, I wanted readers to feel or think or be moved by or touched by in some way the things that made me devote my entire life to the world of comedy and to and to dive into it as an art form to travel the world seeing it hearing it doing it uh you know it was a lifelong commitment for me it was really like and you know we can understand that with jazz cats you know you can understand it with musicians you can understand it with painters how they just their whole lives become consumed with it and everything becomes about you know their work and their art and everything but with comics it seems not really that obvious it seems somehow Comedy's always sort of relegated to some lesser kind of mindset about it, but um, uh, I really, well, I, what I really wanted to convey was the things that I feel when I'm around these people, when I'm around the art form, when I'm moved by the art form, when I see the art form happening at a level that's just beyond my, you know, my scope and abilities. Uh, I, I feel things really, really deeply. I'll never forget when the first time I saw uh, George Carlin live in concert at Carnegie Hall in 1972. It was just a kid, but I, w- I will never forget, you know, after the show was over, I was in the front row of the top, top, top balcony. And, um, you know, everybody's leaving and there's all this hubbub and everything. And I was sitting there and I couldn't leave. I was weeping. I was crying at just at what I had seen and how much he had rocked my world and how, like, wow, telling jokes, being funny, you can do that to all these people. And just it just, it, it hit me so hard on such a deep, visceral level. And uh, for better or worse, I'm not, I'm not, by the way, I don't mean to imply at any point during this that I'm actually healthy, but um, <laughs> uh, that's what happened to me. And so um, this book, uh, The Aristocrats, a lot of the other stuff that I'm working in the green room coming out on Showtime, all of those are kind of an effort to share with people what, it, what I find so powerfully moving. I can't be the only one that gets it. 
but I'm one of few that gets to experience it on an ongoing basis, you know? In fact, when we were doing The Green Room, which is all about, again, breaking down all the barriers and comics hanging out with other comics and really just being funny for the sake of being funny in the moment. It's not a talk show. There's no agenda. There's no subject matter. It really just meanders jazz. It really, truly is verbal jazz mm -hmm. with really, really funny people. Comedy being their, you know, being their, uh, their, um, uh, um, acts. <laughs> no, being their lives, really. Uh, um, um, it was all about, it's to get comics to really be that way in front of other people is a lot like trying to get pandas to mate in captivity. You know, everything's got to be just right or it ain't going to happen, you know? And, uh, and I, I think we accomplished that in doing the Satiristas uh, um, project and uh, on, on the show as well. And, and it's one of those things I'm kind of proud of because really, truly, there's very few people that could accomplish it. You know, uh, you have to really be inside it and be able to step, get a bigger picture at the same time. It's a little schizo. The Chinese have donated two of their comics for the next round. <laughs> and, and you know, one of the things that uh, reading this book and, and experiencing, you know, the the images is, it really does remind us that you know, uh, comedy has a, a an honored tradition. These days, Mark Twain would be a comic, and he's a classic of American literature. Yeah. And I think a lot of these people in here, and the people who produced it, you two, are you know, rising to the, uh, make it clear that that's what this is all about. Yeah, I, th I think it does sort of, uh, uh, I think some people's view of comedy in general might be elevated a bit by this, which is great. I think that's a little gift to give back to comedy. But, you know, I mean, we're talking Aeschylus. We're talking Mark Twain. We're talking, you know, Jonathan Swift. We're talking about huge, towering literary figures. You know, uh, that's the, they're the direct, the people in Satirisa are the direct descendants of those kinds of artists. And, and achieving the same kind of effects. In their own with, way. With your help yeah. as well. And I think one of the reasons why they are perceived just as pop culture flush is because they are accomplishing all of that without the pretension to say that that's what they're doing. And doing it effortlessly as doing well. It, yeah. Make it the 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 true trick of the artist and uh, that you accomplish here is to do something powerful and interesting, but to make it look easy. Yeah. And, yeah. And Isn't that true for every art form? I guess so. Yeah. Uh, also in the book is uh, George Carlin's uh, final interview. Uh, he died about a week after we uh, spoke, and. Um, the book is also dedicated to him because almost everybody in the book, you know, reveres George as a as an inspiration, uh, and so uh, just as a little uh, as a little tribute to him, I just like to say, uh, "Fuck shit, piss cunt, motherfucker, cocksucker, tits." Tits, tits. <laughs> I've been speaking with Paul Provenza and Dan Dion. Their new book is Satiristas, Comedians, Contrarians, Raconteurs, and Bulgarians. Thank you for joining me, gentlemen. Thanks for having Thank us. Thank you so much. Thanks for your uh, kind words. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. <laughs>